0: Iconic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air
1: before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Kathra. Hello. Hi. Hello, zombies. <laughs> I missed you yesterday. I missed you too. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Good. It was. I mean. Mm. This is going to sound really shitty, but. Say it. I just don't like going anywhere.
0: No, I get that. And
1: uh, grandparents, his grandparents smoke. Oh. And I'm just a sensitive, whiny baby. And eventually I just get real fed up. And I'm just like. Do they smoke a lot? Or And do
0: they smoke in the house? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we went to the casino Wednesday night Mm -hmm. for Christopher's brother's birthday.
0: Yeah. How old old is his brother?
1: 22. 22. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I got all dressed up and like look real cute, did my makeup real nice. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to, I'm going to look nice. So I had enough to drink to last me until like 1130. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, I'm done.
0: You had enough to drink to last you until 1130.
1: Yeah, to, like, get me through, like, positively. That is and then, the
0: funniest way to describe how much you had to drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm done.
0: Yeah, okay. I'm done.
1: Now, when I go to the casino, I don't gamble. No? What do you no. do? Well, usually we just go and eat, and then we leave Christopher's parents there, and then we leave. Okay. Because we drive separate. You're <laughs> so, like, we eat, and then we bounce on them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we Maybe you'll spend, like, an extra hour. But, so we get there, uh-huh. we eat, and then we're there for another five hours. Ooh, and you didn't gamble? And I didn't gamble. We found, we <laughs> found 77 cents in, like, leftover vouchers because, you know, <sighs> people leave their vouchers for, like, nine cents. Just yeah. Because like, they're like, what am I going to do with nine cents? We made 77 cents. We didn't gamble. Made 77 cents. Thank wow. you very much. In the black. Yep. For Black Friday. Yep. And oh, my <laughs> God. Like, but... And then I was just like, okay, I'm ready to go home. I don't like going out to places. I really don't. I can tell. I really don't. And if I go out, I don't want to be there for a long time. Like, sorry, I want to go home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I want to go home.
1: So we did that. But obviously you can smoke in casinos. So we were around Mm. smoke all night, Wednesday night. And then almost all day yesterday. And for, you're kind
0: of sick. And
1: yeah, we I had a stuffy nose. Well, both Christopher and I both have the same thing. Uh, both, both of us have stuffy noses and are sick. So being around the smoke Wednesday night, he mm-hmm. started to lose his voice, and I've got like mm-hmm. mucus in my lungs cuz no, I'm just like
0: eh, I don't
1: like it. And it's just from being around the smoke cuz uh, my esophagus is irritated. That's ir- what I told him. He's like he's like I'm getting sick. I was like no, your your
0: esophagus is just irritated. Cause you've been around smoke for twenty four hours. Did he say something about how he was now irritated? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I would have been like. Well, you're irritating me right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, so then yesterday we went, and then it was. I mean, we had a nice time. We had a good dinner. Dinner was delicious. Mm-hmm. But then it was like that. It was over, and they his family likes to play cards.
0: Oh yeah, okay. Which.
1: I don't like to do because I don't gamble. I don't like to gamble. Do they
0: play poker? Yeah. Okay. My, it's so funny. My family always played poker after Thanksgiving dinner yeah. too.
1: And it's like, it's like a thing with their family, which is fine, whatever, mm-hmm. but I nickel don't want to play. I they don't... played nickel
0: and dime poker. Do they play with real they money? play with quarters. Oh, see? Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. And it's like, like, that's fine. Do whatever you want, but I don't want to play. I don't ever want to play. Mm-hmm.
0: Never. You're not going to try it.
1: I have I played I played last New Year's Eve. I okay. played for a little bit, but, it was but boring. it's just
0: like we're not into it. No,
1: I'm not. It's not what I'm into. I want to go sit and watch Dick Clark's New Year's Eve thing oh all night long. Like that's what I do on New Year's Eve. I sit there and I watch TV. I don't want to play games. I don't want to communicate I don't want to do it
0: I would love to play games I would totally play the games. Christopher and
1: I play like Jenga and stuff like we played Jenga and Monopoly last year okay but like that's my thing every New Year's Eve is I watch they do it so they play cards Thanksgiving Christmas New Year's like any yeah. holiday that everybody's together they play cards together yeah yeah so like just leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> you're like I don't want to play with you I don't want to play Wow. Like, um, I love you, you all. You seem so much fun. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> just, like, just don't invite me ever to any holiday thing if you expect me to participate because it's not going to happen.
0: I see. On the opposite side of that, um, I am totally the person that's like, let's play one more game and you yeah. want me to leave. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess we probably shouldn't hang out like past 5
1: well, p.m. What's your what's your like game thing? Like like Jenga and okay,
0: so trades
1: and like Monopoly and like that kind of stuff or are you going to play poker the entire night?
0: I wouldn't play poker the entire night um unless we just had like a good rhythm with it, do you yeah. know what I mean? Unless we're just all really into it, which they all seem really into it. I do get mad when people want to play euchre cuz that's hard and yeah. I don't understand it and Me partners either. and then your partner gets mad and I'm like, "Hey dude, I don't even know what this card means." <laughs> but um uh I do love Jenga and I have a Jenga set that I've completely colored in with Sharpies. <sighs> yeah, it's that's pretty cool. sweet. Um and then uh we play a lot of games. We play Munchkin, Cards Against Humanity, Liar's Dice. We like that's We love
1: games. Yeah, so. like that's like I don't want to sit there Settlers and play poker Katan. the
0: entire time. Yeah, poker would be right. And I
1: don't want to give you my money cuz that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Like, I need that money, okay? <laughs>
0: you're like, no, I'm poor. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. How was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was pretty good. My mom is in the hospital, so I took the kids Aww. to go visit her in the hospital. But she was still my crazy old mom and told, crate She talked about the movie Black Hawk Down for 20 minutes, and the kids were like, hey, can we go? And I was like, happy Thanksgiving. So
1: <laughs> that was it. That's great.
0: Yeah. Who's going first this week? I don't care. You went first last week. Yeah, you I think, it should, you. I think okay. it should be you. I think it should be you. Okay. Okay.
1: Hey. Hey, guys. <laughs> Almost forgot. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is Off Air with Emily Patra, and we're back for a- another
0: episode. We're
1: this is back. episode
0: five. We're like doing stuff. Yeah. We're making a podcast here. We've done this for five weeks. Oh, my gosh. That,
1: well, okay. We recorded for four. This right. The second episode we pre recorded. We did. Which was convenient because I was sick.
0: It was, and so. I would have been like, oh, sorry.
1: Uh, mm. Good job. Okay. Okay. Episode five. I'm Episode Emily. Episode
0: five. I'm Patra. Hey.
1: Hey, hey
0: guys. <laughs> Stupid. So this is The Butcher of Elmendorf. <gasps> My word. Right? Is this like an old-timey play?
1: Just wait. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Okay. Also... Uh I don't want to tell you that nickname because it might give it away. Uh, The other nickname he has is Bluebeard of South Texas. Bluebeard of South Texas. Getting it. So in the late 1800s, old time you play. Okay. (laughs) Old time you play. The state of Texas was open with with thousands of acres of unsettled land. Around 1885, Frank Ball moved to Elmendorf, Texas.
0: Okay, <laughs> Frank Ball in Elmendorf. Yep, which I love. This that sounds name. like, I mean, it's Westworld. is happening. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Are you okay? What's happening?
1: I was turning the wrong headphone knob. I'm like, I can't freaking hear. It's because I was turning the wrong knob.
0: I'm oh such an gosh. idiot. I wish you were accidentally turning mine up really <laughs> loudly. <laughs> and you're like, I can't hear. <laughs> like, oh, anyway. anyway. <laughs> okay. Um... Around 1885,
1: Frank Ball moved to Elmendorf, Texas, a small town 15 miles southeast of San Antonio. Shortly after his arrival, Frank borrowed some money from the bank to open a factory that processed cotton. Shortly after, the railroad railroad ran tracks through town, and Frank's business boomed, making him a very wealthy man.
0: Awesome. He began
1: dabbling in real estate, buying and selling properties throughout the area, and he eventually opened a general store in town. He and his wife, Elizabeth, raised eight children. Every one of the children were well to do, and several became important figures in the community. Frank Jr. worked for the school district and became a trustee. His brother Raymond opened his own grocery store, married a local teacher who was later appointed by a president by president <laughs> President Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1940 as postmaster and served the community for 27 years. So, like his family was, they mm-hmm. were doing, they stuff. were they were getting it now prominent. Frank and Elizabeth's second child, Joseph D. Ball, Mm -hmm. was born on January 7th, 19... No, 1896. January 7th, 1896. 1896, okay. Throughout his childhood, he kept to himself and rarely participated in activities with other children, preferring to spend his time outdoors fishing and exploring. As he reached adolescence, Joe's passion turned to guns. He loved (sighs) them and spent several hours every week practicing and perfecting his skills. On April 6th, in 1917, the United States formally declared war against Germany and entered the conflict in Europe. Shortly after the start of the war, Joe Ball enlisted and was shipped off to the front lines in Europe. So he survives World War One mm-hmm. and in 1919 received an honorable discharge from the army and returned back to Elmendorf. Okay. I love that name. Elmendorf. I want to live in Elmendorf.
0: Yeah, it sounds like magical. Yeah, yeah. What a magical place.
1: It's really not. <laughs> oh, oh, just well, wait. Okay. Just wait. <laughs>
0: Joe worked for his
1: father for a little while after he returned, and then he quit. He may not have followed in his father's footsteps like his father wanted him to, mm-hmm. but he learned something about learned something from his father about business and quickly determined that with the beginning of Prohibition, there was a huge demand for illegal whiskey and beer. So he began his career as a bootlegger. Yes. Joe ended up traveling <laughs> all around the world. Not all around the world, all around the area. In his Model A Ford, selling people whiskey out of a fifty-gallon
0: barrel. Okay, can that be my life? Seriously. Please, can
1: I just drive around in this old ass car? You know
0: when it like makes that noise, yeah. like it's like got smoke pumping out. Like I don't know, that's, Backfires. that's an old. Thank you, a backfire. Okay, a little whiskey, shot of whiskey. Yeah, for the kids. Yep, not the kids. Whatever. Sure. It's during the 1800s. yeah
1: <laughs> during the mid 20s Joe hired a young man named Clifton Wheeler to help out with the business now um, a couple articles call refer to where's where'd it go because I edited this part I thought it was that part hmm. oh here um, a couple articles I saw it was Clifford Wheeler he was also referred to as William Sneed so I don't know which one is the right name William Sneed but,
0: that name sounds familiar but
1: the most the most the name that he was most referred to as in a couple articles was Clifton Wheeler, so that's okay. what we're going to we're going, going with Clifton. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so he hires Clifton Wheeler to help out with the business, who was a handyman by trade, um, and Wheeler quickly found himself doing most of the labor and the dirty work. Mm. It was later said that Wheeler lived in fear of Joe because Joe was a alcoholic, and he would blow off steam by shooting at Wheeler's feet, making him dance the jitterbug.
0: Oh my word!
1: <laughs> I want this dude's life! So like... <laughs> Okay, man. Uh, <laughs> like, you can tell we're in the early 1900s, right? dancing the jitterbug.
0: <laughs> Who in the world? Oh, my gosh. Like, you shoot at somebody and make them dance. What do you make them do now? Like, floss. <laughs> Bang. Floss down. Oh, my word. Yeah.
1: Anyway. So, when Prohibition, we'll get back to Wheeler in a little bit. Okay, good. So, when Prohibition ended, uh, obviously, Joe's bootlegging career did as well. Bummer. However, he already knew quite a bit about the liquor and beer business, so he opened a saloon. After purchasing a small plot of land outside of town by what is now Highway 181. I don't know what that is, but it's obviously in Texas.
0: Highway what? 181. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Joe built all you Texas people. You'll know that. Yeah, Yeah. right? They're like, oh,
0: snap. Yeah. Anyway.
1: So Joe built this tavern, which he named the Sociable Inn, which I really like that name. Like if I was like driving down Highway 181, I'd be like, oh, Sociable Inn. Let's go here. Let's pull over and get some sarsaparilla. Yep. Well, most customers seem to get along with Joe. He was known around town as a creepy guy and someone you did not want
0: to cross. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: isn't, that, isn't that everybody we know? Um, even though the business seemed to do well, he felt the need to draw in customers with like a gimmicky thing. Mm-hmm. So he settled on the idea of having live alligators on the property. Hence his other nickname, the Alligator Man. Nice. He had a hole dug behind the bar, which he then cemented and filled with water and then built a 10-foot-tall fence around filling the pool with five live alligators.
0: Okay, so you got this bar, and you think, how can I get people to come to my bar in Texas, which is not really an alligator-filled state, no. correct? Um, not that I know of.
1: Right. It's more like armadillos and salamanders.
0: Uh, salamanders. Um, so, yeah, it's like a weird makeshift pool uh-huh. with a fence uh-huh. and five gators. Uh-huh. Out and back. In the back of the barn. Yeah. The bar. The bar.
1: Which, Frick. apparently, it was already doing fine, so it's not like he needed... It's not like he was, like, real poor and nobody was coming in.
0: Okay, can I just say one thing? Yeah. Sold! I'm going! I would go! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you, among a lot of other people... Of course. Joe's idea panned out, and lots of customers came to look at his new pets. According to Elton Cootie, Cood Jr., I don't know what that last name is, All right, his father... Was a Bexar County deputy sheriff who helped investigate Ball and later wrote a book about him, uh, wrote about him in a book titled titled The Wild and Free Dukedom of Bexar, which I I don't even understand the sentence, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was common knowledge that every Saturday night a drunken orgy, okay, this is a quote, a drunken orgy occurred any wild animal, possum, cat, dog, or any other animal without an owner helped make the show a little better. What? So they were like feeding all these random animals to these alligators, and people. Oh like, my gosh! So, quote continuous get drunk, throw in an animal, and watch the alligators. <gasps> I don't, yeah. I don't like this game. Yeah, it's not funny. Never anymore. mind. I don't want to go. Not fun anymore. I don't want to
0: go to this bar.
1: <clears throat> in addition to his alligators, Joe's male customers enjoyed the fact that he would only hire the youngest and prettiest of girls mm. to waitress and tend the bar. So it's like Gross. Hooters with alligators. Mm. Mm. Sorry, that might have been offensive. I don't. None of the girls ever seemed to stay for long, but Joe always explained that the girls were simply drifters and drifting through town looking for a quick buck. Did they age out?
0: They got too old. (laughs) They're like, too old, too (laughs) "Too saggy. And he's like, 22, you're done. Uh, In
1: 1934, Joe met a woman from Seguin? Seguin?
0: Where are these places, Texas? Yeah. Get it together.
1: (laughs) What happened to Dallas and Houston? Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So he meets a woman named Minnie Goddard, or Big Minnie, as most knew her. Big Minnie! Like, could you just imagine, like, what would your nickname be if you lived in the early 1900s?
0: Oh, gosh. I don't know. (sighs) Pissy Patty. (laughs) Pissy (laughs) Patty. I like it. I like it. Oh,
1: no. That was a good one. Um... Joe's friends disliked Big Minnie and Joe oh, didn't gosh. mind and the two eventually began running the bar together. So Joe was like forget about you, friends.
0: It's not about I you. got
1: Big Minnie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Big Minnie's my babe.
1: <clears throat> so the relation the relationship God. <laughs> The relationship lasted for almost 3 years until Joe fell in love with Dolores Buddy Goodwin, who we're just going <gasps> to refer to as Dolores. Okay. One of his younger waitresses. Shock. Dolores fell in love with Joe, even though he had once thrown a bottle at her, leaving a nasty scar from her eye to her neck.
0: How? D- and she's okay. like, oh, I love you. I mean,
1: that's like a gash. That's yeah, a gaping like an wound. Like eye to, to your even, neck? Even like the closest point from your eye to your neck is still, what, five inches? Five inches at least. <sighs> so things become even more complicated in 1937 when 22-year-old Hazel... Her nickname is Shatsy, which we're going to refer to as Hazel. Hazel Hazel Brown began working at the bar. So he moves on from Big Minnie. Three years later, falls in love with Dolores, and then Hazel enters the picture, seemingly about the same time. Okay, Joe. Full of self confidence and per—I don't know the this word—perilously. Obviously, copy and paste right there. (laughs) She was beautiful. Joe, forever the player, fell in love once again. This created a problem for Joe because now he's balancing
0: three women, all of which work at the bar. I mean, like, can you meet someone at the bookstore or something? <laughs> go to the sheriff's station. Well, yeah. I'm, like, picturing an old time. I know. I'm like, I don't know. Go to the barber shop. Isn't there someone there? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, during the summer of 1937, part of Joe's problem was solved when the disappearance of Minnie occurred. Hmm. So, his first, his first lady friend... Big Minnie. Big Minnie disappears. Upon inquiry by friends and relatives of Minnie's, he explained that she had left town after giving birth to a black baby. Obviously, we are in the early 1900s where this is an issue. So she had to leave town. Yeah, so she's like, oh, she had to leave town because I don't know what would have happened then. But Mm -hmm. obviously, something not good. Um, A few months later, Joe married Dolores, who's the second lady. He marries Dolores and reveals to her that Minnie had not run off, but rather he had taken her to a local beach, shot her in the head, and buried her in the sand. Guess what Dolores did?
0: Uh, Tried to go run away.
1: She didn't believe him. What? So <sighs> your, your husband, who threw a bottle at you, gave you a scar from your eye to your neck, tells you that he murdered his ex-girlfriend, and you don't believe
0: him. You're like, nah. <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Jeez. So, in January 1938, Dolores was involved in a near-fatal car accident, which resulted in the amputation of her left arm. Enter the rumors that one of Joe's alligators had actually torn it off. Snapped off that arm. Snatched it off. Regardless of how she lost her arm, she disappears in April, and not long after her, out goes Hazel. Oh, my word. So, while the women came and left, Joe was very protective of his beloved gators that always stayed a consistent in his life. Mm-hmm. A neighbor ended up complaining about the smell of rotting meat, Mm-mm. in which Joe pulls out a pistol and threatens him. The neighbor moves away, rumored to move away. Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: So, Joe's obviously got some anger issues.
0: I mean, is there no—who's who's taking care of Joe? Like, somebody—you got your eye on him or what? Seriously. You're just letting this dude we'll do whatever? <laughs> So despite the fact that Joe's help kept disappearing his business continued
1: to thrive. Everything appeared to be going smoothly until mid 1938 when Minnie's family began began to ask questions again. So this is like a year later okay. her family's like, "Wait." Big Minnie's mom is like, yeah. "Where's Minnie?" Yeah. Yeah. So they had been able to um un- are you okay? I was going to say they had been able to unlocate her. They had been unable to locate her. Nice. And sought help from the Bexar County Sheriff's Office. Since Joe was Minnie's last known lover and employer, he was questioned on several occasions. He was eventually dismissed as a suspect because there was no evidence of foul play. A few months later, another family went to the police about their missing daughter, 23 year old Julia Turner, oh. who, imagine that, she had also worked part time for Joe. Wow. Sheriff's deputies again visited the tavern, but Joe claimed she had told him she was having some personal problems and wanted to move on. With nothing more to go on, they drop it again. Mm. Later, when they searched the home that Julia shared with a roommate, it was discovered that she hadn't packed any of her clothing or belongings, so the investigators returned to the bar for another round of questioning. This time, Joe apparently remembers that she was in a desperate state and he had lent her $500 because she was having problems With her roommate and didn't want to return home.
0: Oh, is that so?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I remember now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. During the next few
1: months, two more of Joe's employees came up missing. So we're at what six now? Okay,
0: hey, dude, maybe kill somebody that doesn't work for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, holy cow. Obvious,
0: right? Get it together.
1: So after these two employees come up missing, sheriff's deputies bring him in and question him relentlessly for hours on end. But He continued to maintain his innocence, stating that they had simply left town and moved on. okay. With no evidence or leads to follow, the girls were added to a growing list, and Joe was again in the clear. On September 23rd, 1938, Joe's luck begins to run out. An old neighbor of his came forward and told investigators that he had witnessed Joe cut meat off of a human body and feed the pieces to the alligators. Then a man told Bexar County's Deputy Sheriff John Gray about a foul-smelling barrel Joel had left
0: behind his sister's barn. (sighs) He saw him cut meat off of a body. Supposedly, yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. The Mm. following
1: morning, which, like, in this paragraph, it almost Mm -hmm. seems it's... When I first read it, I was like, wait, did he wait to tell the police this?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, did he... But it's not,
1: there's not... Doesn't
0: really... Yeah. Okay. But
1: I guess, so... Regardless, the next morning, deputies John Gray and John Clevenhagen. Went, John and John. John and John went to the barn to investigate, but the barrel was gone. Mm. So, regardless, no, nonetheless is the word that I wrote down here. <laughs> Not regardless. <laughs> Joe, Joe's sister corroborated the man's story, and the deputies decided to pay Joe another visit. Another visit. Another I liked how visit. you said that. We're at, like, what, like, four now? Four for invest for questionings. I, don't I mean, even know. a lot,
0: a lot of questioning.
1: Enough that it's just like I've questioned you enough. Come on, let's mm-hmm. go. <laughs> so when Gray and Clevin Higgin, the two Johns, arrived at the bar, oh, that sounded funny. The two Johns aren't those guys that hire sex workers. Johns. Yeah, Johns. <laughs> they weren't investigators. Not sex workers. That's worker like, hirers.
0: So what year is this? 1938. You yeah, said. Yeah. We're in 1938. Now they wouldn't have called them Johns back then. What would no. they have called them? What's, like, a common name back then? A frickin' John, I guess. They're both named John.
1: <laughs> they would have called them men, actually. Oh.
0: Oof. Because it was, like. It's normal. A thing. A thing. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway. when Gray
1: and Clevenhagen arrived at the bar, they informed Joe that they were taking him to San Antonio for questioning. Joe asked if he could first close down the tavern, and the deputies agreed. They're like, yeah, sure,
0: go ahead, close it down. They're like, yeah, you know what? We'll be back in a day or two,
1: actually. Do whatever you need
0: to do. Wrap up your business.
1: (laughs) Golly. So as they're sitting there at the bar waiting, Joe grabs a beer and quickly slams it down. He walks over to his register and presses the no sale button. When the drawer popped open, he reaches inside and grabs a forty-five revolver. He waves it over at Gray and Clevenhagen and then points it to his heart in which... The two Johns yell, Don't. Don't. He pulls the trigger, falls dead on the barroom floor.
0: Shut up. He killed himself.
1: Yep. He shot himself in the chest. Yeah. Whoa. Which is wild. Uh, some people later claim that he had shot himself in the head, but regardless, it was a fatal shot.
0: I, I don't know. I like the chest, the yeah. shot in the chest I connection. Know. Goodness. Uh, oh, okay.
1: So deputies from all over the region were soon going over every square inch of the bar upon discovering rotting meat all around the gator pond and an axe matted with blood and hair. Uh. Their initial theory was that Joe had mutilated his victims and fed them to his alligators. Investigators also began to recall other disappearances, including two missing barmaids and a teenage boy who hung out at Joe's. The sheer horror of the situation was beginning to set in, and Bexar County Deputy Sheriff John Gray wanted answers. So investigators knew that Joe's handyman, Clifton Wheeler, was probably the only living person that could help them.
0: Clifton! Oh, my gosh, we circled back around. Yep.
1: Enter Clifton Wheeler again. Oh, my gosh. After securing the scene at the bar, Gray and Clevenhagen picked up Wheeler and took him back to San Antonio for questioning. He initially denied having any knowledge of what happened to the missing woman, but as the day wore on, he finally admitted that he had not been totally honest with them about his involvement. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> he then explained that Joe's girlfriend Hazel Brown, who was the third girl, uh-huh. had fallen in love with another man and was planning to move away to start a new life. Oh, there's a lot of like my word, real quick. I'm in love with you's going on. What? I mean, goodness. <laughs> so this, according to Wheeler, in conjunction with accusing Joe of Big Minnie's murder, caused Joe to fly off the handle and kill her. <gasps> So according to Wheeler, Hazel had fallen in love with another man, accused Mm -hmm. Joe of murdering Big Minnie, and then was going to move away. Mm -hmm. So he kills her. In order to verify his story, investigators wanted to see proof and ask Wheeler to show them where Joe had disposed of Hazel's body. The following day, Wheeler took investigators to an isolated spot approximately three miles from town near the San Antonio River. He momentarily scans the area and then begins to dig in the loose soil. After a few minutes, blood begins <gasps> oozing up in the dirt and I literally I like covered my mouth when I read this part I was like oh. so after a few minutes blood began oozing up in the dirt and a horrendous smell began to emanate from the ground the odor became so intolerable that everybody began vomiting
0: uh, uh. Oh, oh my like, word
1: oh. so Wheeler eventually pulls up two arms mm. two
0: legs and they're just hey, hey dude who used to work with Joe dig this body up Get and these limbs out. Not the torso. That's where the smell is. You know yeah. that.
1: <laughs> when asked where the head was, mm. Wheeler pointed to the remains of a campfire. Upon closer examination, the investigators found a jawbone, some teeth, <sighs> and finally some pieces of skull, which were all that remained of Hazel Brown.
0: Oh my gosh, Hazel. Poor I'm baby. I'm so sorry.
1: And as investigators... Uh, shut off the crime scene, Wheeler said that after a long night of heavy drinking, Ball had asked him to gather up some blankets and alcohol. Afterwards, the two took Joel's car, Joe's car and picked up a 55-gallon barrel from Joe's sister's barn and then drove down to the river. Wheeler claimed that Ball forced him at gunpoint to dig a grave and then they opened the barrel. Inside was Hazel Brown's mm. body. Wheeler said that he initially refused to help dismember the corpse and that a And that Joe had started it himself, but in that his... (laughs) Jeez. It's okay. But that in his drunken stupor, Joe had a difficult time sawing off the limbs and forced Wheeler to hold them down as he sawed. Oh. Whenever the two started to get ill from the stench, they would take a break and drink more beer. Same. (laughs) God. When the dismemberment was finally complete, Wheeler said that they buried the corpse and threw her head on the campfire.
0: Okay. So how... I'm sorry uh how long ago was this incident like the night of the and what's the time frame the difference like when he goes to dig her up um, like a year or two or something it's been a minute
1: yeah it's probably been a year or so
0: okay um cuz i was just thinking like man he remembers everything like every little detail you'd remember that i mean like he just knew exactly like oh it's right here i'm going to dig and after a few minutes found her and they're like where's her head and he's like oh it's over there homie
1: yeah so he met her in 1937 in the summer. Uh-huh. And then September of 38 is when that man told the sheriff about the barrel behind the bar. So at least a year. And it was already smelling. Oh. Which I don't know. I know, like, obviously a couple of days your so body starts to yeah. decompose. But I don't know when it starts to smell.
0: Okay, So it's it's a year, probably. Okay, yeah, a year. Because he just, I mean, but that's something you would know. You'd be like, yeah, it was... I walked seven steps, and then this horrendous thing happened to me. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: So, when questioned about Big Minnie's disappearance, Wheeler said that Joe had taken Minnie to Ingleside near Corpus Christi. Joe found a secluded area, and after a lot of drinking, Mm. he waited until Minnie was distracted and then shot her in the temple. So, his story that he told good old Dolores was true, but she didn't believe him. Um, Wheeler stated that Joe killed her because she was pregnant and didn't want that to interfere with the r- relationship he had with Dolores. So, oh you murder gosh. her instead, like yeah. that's not gonna interfere. I mean, <laughs> obviously, she didn't uh. believe you, but so then the two men buried her in the sand and drove back to the bar. Police went to that area, dug in the sand with hired hands and heavy machinery. That was a copy and paste. Never, whatever, would, would I say hired hands. <laughs> Finally, on October 14th, 1938, they found Minnie's partially decomposed remains buried in the sand. Police continued to question Wheeler about the other missing women, but he he claimed to have no knowledge of what happened to them. Mm. Back at Joe's bar, investigators find a scrapbook containing photos of dozens of women. This, said Chief Deputy Sheriff J.W. Davis, might lead to the discovery of one or a dozen more murders.
0: I feel like they let this guy go for way too long, just overlooking it. Yeah. Maybe the sheriff had a lot going on at home or something. Maybe.
1: None of the photos ever proved to have any known connection to Joe. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: Investigators eventually locate Dolores in California, still alive. Holy shit! And she had apparently left the area for a new start in San Diego. Smart. Two weeks later, in Phoenix, Arizona, they located another one of the women that had previously been listed as missing from the tavern. Turns out, none of the rotting flesh in the alligator pond was found to be human. In a, 19, mm. in a 1957 interview with the San Antonio Light, Dolores Goodwin stated that Joe never put no people in that alligator tank.
0: Oh, Dolores!
1: <laughs> she said, Joe wouldn't do a thing like that. He wasn't no horrible monster. Joe was a sweet, kind, good man, and he never hurt nobody unless he was driven to it. There were just two murders. Oh! Just two. That's
0: it. I mean, get off his back, dude. (laughs) Jesus.
1: So while it's possible that he actually never fed anyone to his alligators, it was speculated by the original investigators that he just simply cleaned it up, cleaned it up, cleaned up all the flesh and bone that they Mm -hmm. left. So you don't know for sure. Are alligators like pigs? Will they eat anything? I don't think so.
0: I mean, let's look. I'm going to let's look it up. Okay. Will alligators eat and all of, are alligators like pigs? Let's Google that. Are
1: alligators like pigs?
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm an adult. (laughs) Uh, Oh, the first thing that pops up is alligator versus pigs videos. No, I don't want to watch that. I know, I know. Are alligators like pigs? Will alligators eat anything? All of it.
1: Will alligators eat all of it? (laughs)
0: I eat. typed, will alligators eat an entire, and the first thing that popped up was avocado, apple, or watermelon. Oh. Um, they don't like to eat humans. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's rare. Okay. They don't love it. All right.
1: Well, okay. that's good. That's good to know. Hmm.
0: At least that's what Florida is saying. Okay, Florida. I mean, Florida's got enough alligators. I guess you know. Florida.
1: Did that one alligator go after that little boy, though? Yeah,
0: they did. There was a couple of articles about how an alligator was found eating um, a human body. But they said it's rare for that to happen.
1: I mean, maybe he was just real hungry. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Looking like a snack. (laughs) We are sorry. That was inappropriate.
1: In 1939, Clifton Wheeler pled guilty for his part in disposing of the bodies and was sentenced to two years in prison. Okay. Following his release, he opened up his own bar. However, his notoriety preceded him, and he was unable to show his face in public without being hounded by the press or chastised by local residents. Wheeler eventually (laughs) leaves the area and was never heard from again.
0: Probably an alligator got him. A gator got him!
1: Joe's alligators were eventually seized by the state of Texas and donated to the San Antonio Zoo. How nice. So if you lived in 1938 and you went to the San Antonio Zoo you saw A Murderer's Alligators.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Where they lived out their remainder of their lives as tourist attractions. Mm. Now, most horror buffs have seen Toby Hooper's popular movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. His second movie, Eaten Alive, may have been a little bit more reality-based off of this story. Oh, okay. I love that, so I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the story of Joseph D. Ball, the butcher of Elmendorf.
0: The butcher of Elmendorf. Man, that is such a good story. Yeah, that was a good one. I was like, (gasps) (gasps) the entire time I was reading it. (laughs) Wait, oh boy, what's happening? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. All right. I loved that one. Thanks. That was really good. Good one. Okay, so um, with this podcast, my friends are really into like listening. Oh, hi friends. Hi. And so um, I do. I did get. Sometimes they get, like, little links to stories, like, hey, you should do this one, hey, you should do this one, because they, like, know about it, or it's not super popular, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I have another local-to-us one. My friend sent it over, and there's, like, a little—this was on Snapped and True Crime Ooh. Daily. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was Thanksgiving Day not too long ago, uh-huh. and I made dirt pudding for my family, which they love and they request all the time, and— it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's Oreos and pudding and cream cheese. You've you got it. it in the uh, I did this morning, but I haven't tried it yet. You should try some. Okay, it's really good. Okay, and the Oreos get all soft and mushy, like oh, you dumped yeah. them in milk. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, so this one, when I looked it up, because I didn't know anything about this death or whatever, it was like it was called pudding poison.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So I was like, okay. Um
1: maybe right. I don't want to eat your pudding. You though. do. You do. You want it.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Are we ready? Yeah. This is about the m- murder of Alan Duvall. It's definitely a murder. This happened in Bartholomew County. Um he died on Lake Crest Drive, which is in Shadow Creek Farms. Do you know where that is, Emily?
1: What's it by? Uh South- What landmark have you shown the me the The fairgrounds. That it's by? Okay.
0: Yeah. It's that big uh Neighborhood, like, across the street oh, from yeah. the school. Okay. Yeah, okay. It's a huge neighborhood. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And that's where he died? That's where he died. Okay. At approximately 8 a.m. on August 24, 2007, pudding chef Tammy Duvall <laughs> called 911. Pudding chef? She's not a pudding chef. Oh. I just am an, an asshole. I was like, what <clears throat> a job, just to create pudding
1: all the days? Emily, stop. Okay. <laughs>
0: Anyway, Tammy called 911 and told the operator that she had just arrived home from work and found her estranged husband, Alan, dead in a chair in the backyard. Um, According to Tammy, Alan had come over the prior evening to work on a malfunctioning air conditioning unit and became overheated, and he went outside to cool down, um, and then he slept outside. Okay, that's not a sleep outside neighborhood. I mean, no, no, it's no one should just sleep outside in a chair with nothing. You know what I mean? Like, but that's definitely it's not a neighbor. It's a neighborhood where if you saw someone sitting in a chair asleep, you'd be like, oh, is that dude dead? Oh, or is he okay? Okay, great. Let me go over and check on him because people don't sleep outside here in this neighborhood. (laughs) Anyway, um, and so he slept outside. Uh, Tammy told the operator that Alan was a heavy drinker and it was initially believed that he had a. Oh it said he had a blood alcohol content of 0.436. I don't know if that's a lot or not. I really don't. Is it uh,
1: the I think the le- the limit's 0.8. 0.8
0: or is it 0.08? Oh, it's 0.08. So that yeah, is a lot. It is. Okay. But also 0.08 is like It's like nothing, isn't it? Like
1: a like a drink.
0: Like, like mouthwash. Like, <laughs> like
1: a little bit of yeah, oh. it's like if you swallow your mouthwash. You, yeah. It's oh. not 0.08 is not that much. It's not that much. And I think, like, 0.4 is like if I had, like, a six-pack of beer, I'd be at 0.4. Oh. Or some, I don't... Okay. Okay. I don't really know, but it's not... It's not a ton.
0: It's not like you are trying to kill yourself with alcohol poisoning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it says um, Tammy told the operator that Alan was a heavy drinker, and it was initially believed that Alan, who had a blood alcohol content of 0.436, mm-hmm. died of alcohol poisoning. However... Several of Duval's and several of Tammy and Alan's family members contacted the Columbus Police Department to convey their suspicions of foul play, including, shout out, Tiffany. Thank you for the story. She said, and I'm not going to name uh, the people that she knows, that they were watching, they know Tammy and that they had previously been watching a crime show with Tammy. And she made the comment, that's not how you kill someone and get away with it. <gasps> And those people both went to the police separately. Good for after. them. After, yeah. Yes, thank you. Prompting Detective Mark, which his last name is like Cruchin, Crutchen. so we're just going to call him Detective Mark from now okay. on, to request an autopsy of Alan's body. Toxicology reports from the autopsy revealed that Alan had a morphine concentration of a whole bunch, I don't know, it seems like a lot, in his blood, almost 100 times a therapeutic dose. Wow. Yeah. And a whole bunch of a muscle relaxer, approximately eight times the therapeutic dose. In light of this evidence, Detective Mark decided to conduct a homicide investigation. The investigation revealed that Alan and Tammy, who had been separated for several months, had significant financial problems. Bill collectors were calling all the time because of the mortgage, basically, uh-huh. and other, you know, consumer accounts. Yeah. You know how that is. Credit cards, whatever. Mm-hmm. Getting TV. you owe your bill on. Yeah, basically. past two vehicles. And um, Tammy's youngest daughter was getting ready to go to—she was off to college and college tuition was, like, due. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so a lot going on. And then they're separated, living—trying mm-hmm. to pay for two residences. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Alan had only recently begun to work with a glass installation company after several job changes— and Tammy's earnings as a certified nurse's aide, she was a certified nurse's aide, not a pudding chef, were inadequate <laughs> for the mounting financial obligations, clearly, because I mean a CNA in yeah. I don't know, that that neighborhood, probably uh two hundred thousand dollar houses. One to two, you know, it just depends. A short time before Alan's death, Tammy had uh kind of encouraged Alan to get a life insurance policy oh. and to put her on as the beneficiary a hundred thousand dollar life ins- insurance policy not like she's not going to be rich for the rest of her life kind of thing but, but enough, enough to, to get, get out bills. of enough to get out of this mess right according to the couple's friends um Alan had been willing to do so because he believed it was a mortgage insurance policy and he expected to move back in with Tammy as soon as her daughter moved out to college. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, she was a little manipulating him. Yeah. You know, I mean, a little, but anyway. The police had obtained through um, the insurance agent Gary Rudell Ruddle something. I don't know. I lost my place. I don't, there's a number four here. I feel like I put that in by accident. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the policy had been obtained through insurance agent Gary Rudell, with whom. Tammy was having an affair. Oh, Tammy. Oh,
1: my God. Low on
0: cash, having an affair. So Tammy was hoeing it out to the insurance agent. Jesus. (laughs) Although, according to Gary, the insurance agent, he advised Tammy not to attempt to collect on the policy just yet because Alan died during the policy grace period and it would look suspicious. I mean, she couldn't, she couldn't wait just like a minute. You know what I'm saying? like taking
1: out a life insurance policy on your husband and then killing him and then taking out just in general isn't suspicious at all.
0: Right. Don't do it just yet. Just wait a little bit and you'll be all set. Okay. Thanks, Gary.
1: If your significant other asks you to take out a life insurance policy (laughs) on yourself, watch your back.
0: (laughs) Don't eat any pudding. Anyway. um, (laughs) Okay. Where was I at? Golly. Anyway. Uh.
1: Told her not to take it out on the grace period.
0: Yeah. But Tammy.
1: She didn't listen. No. Oh, my. Promptly made a
0: claim for payment. And so the life insurance, it's motorists' life insurance. They did not immediately pay the claim. Instead, deciding that they would investigate the circumstances surrounding Alan's death. Smart move, guys. Uh Uh-huh. Dennis Thomas was the investigator. Thomas interviewed Tammy on multiple occasions, as did Detective Mark. Tammy man- maintained that she had, upon arriving home from early morning, home health duties, which um, my mom has some home health aides. You know, mm-hmm. they do have to go out early sometimes and yeah. have weird hours. So, like, you know, work a split shift. You're here until 10 and you come home. You don't have to be anywhere until 1 again. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You like hi, wave. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody can see my gesturing. <laughs> Um, Anyway, Tammy maintained that she had, upon arriving home from early morning home health duties, observed Alan slumped in his backyard chair Mm -hmm. and immediately called 911 and tried without success to pull Alan from his chair to perform CPR. Early in the investigation, Tammy suggested that Alan had been a drug user and had hid that part of his life from her. However, she claimed to lack specific knowledge of what kind of drugs he would use. So you know, like if you know someone who's like a drug user, you're like, oh, they're on, yeah, you know, whatever. They got a problem with this. They got a Even problem with that. Even if they're trying to hide it from you, you're like, this is. <laughs> Tammy suggested that Alan had been a drug user, but she didn't really know what kind of drugs. She's like, oh, he just does drugs. Okay, like ibuprofen. Give me, give me a break. <laughs> In an interview with Detective Mark and Bartholomew County Prosecutor William Nash, Tammy stated that she had observed Allen take muscle relaxers of the brand name Flexeril, which he had allegedly obtained from his cousin. She also described Allen on the last evening of his life in possession of an eyedropper type bottle with a lavender colored liquid inside. It says that that is a description consistent with Roxanol, a liquid form of morphine used for hospice patients. Oh. Yeah. So, Tammy. Yeah. I wonder how he came upon that, Uh Tammy. Now, Tammy admitted to disposing of empty medication and alcohol bottles after Alan's death. Meanwhile, the police investigation uncovered several witnesses who contradicted Tammy's claims of a prompt 911 call and Alan's drug use. (sighs) Also, one of Tammy's former employers... Um... I'm gonna say it's a nursing home. I'm not gonna name the nursing home. Yeah. Uh, documented a mysterious disappearance of a bottle of Roxanol. Oh my God. Uh huh. Thompson admitted that she had left medications, including Flexeril, out in plain view at her house and that she had recently had a block party attended by Alan and Tammy. Yeah. However, those who knew Alan, including Thompson, insisted that Alan was opposed to ingesting drugs. On August 6, 2010, the state charged Tammy with murder, six counts of insurance fraud, and three counts of obstruction of justice. Dang. On, yeah. I liked that part. Yeah. They're like, you know what? Also, insurance fraud, because don't you step to this. I almost said the F word. <clears throat> Would have been bad. I mean, we are technically no. marked as explicit, but Ooh, the just word. in case. <laughs> Um, she received a sentence of 61 and a half years, 55 for murder, six concurrent sentences of four years for insurance fraud. Is that right? And three concurrent sentences of one and one and a half years for obstruction of justice. During the investigation following Allen's death, police learned that Stephen Brown, Tammy's former boyfriend, had made a June 27, 2005 statement to Farm Bureau Insurance. Special Investigator John, somebody, everybody's named John today. In the course of an investigation into alleged theft of Tammy's property, her boyfriend denied that he had stolen Tammy's property, and during the interview, advised Moon of advised the John of his suspicion that Tammy had tried to poison him with tainted pudding immediately before requesting his signature and identifying information on a life insurance policy. Her boyfriend said that around Thanksgiving of 2004. Oh. Tammy arrived at his home with food, including a pudding dish that she insisted he must eat because her daughter had made it especially for him. And when he took a few bites of the pudding, it tasted like aspirin dissolving, and he felt out of it for several hours. Tammy had also brought a life insurance policy application and claimed that she needed information from Brown so that he could be the listed beneficiary. She asked Brown to sign and provide his social security number. He did not do it, and Tammy left, taking with her the bowl of pudding. What? What? Yeah. So there's this, like, um, interview clip of her online, which I didn't send this time to you, but um, she's, like, describing her pudding, and she's, like, so excited about it. When they're, like, interviewing her about Alan's death. Oh, my god! She's like, yeah, I made dinner, and I made this really cool, like, pudding dessert with Oreos in it. And I was like, that's my pudding that I make every year for the kids.
1: But it's also like, okay, obviously it was your pudding because you're describing to me in detail despite right? you having this, this elaborate dinner maybe. Yeah. Oh, my
0: gosh. Mm-hmm. So she's in jail, 61 years. Oh,
1: I mean. So she's— in jail for 61 years. hmm As of 2005?
0: As of 2011. 2011. April 22, 2011.
1: So was that nineteen or Two thousand
0: seventy-two. Are you asking me to math right now? Yeah, I did it right. Oh, good. I was asking you to confirm <laughs> my math. Yes. So, and
1: how old was she when she got?
0: Um, I don't know, but she had already been married before and had an adult daughter, so... At least my age, I would guess forty-ish, forties. Forty. So, Mm -mm. she's probably not. She's in there. I mean, good behavior or not, making pudding for people or not.
1: Works in the kitchen. Oh my gosh, making that tapioca pudding.
0: Oh. And by the way, dirt pudding is super easy to make. So don't be all like braggy about it. Like, oh, I made this really cool pudding. Okay, everybody makes that pudding. Calm down. (laughs) Tammy (laughs) made this really cool pudding with Oreos. And um. Morphine. And morphine. (laughs) And enough morphine to kill everybody in this room. Enjoy. What? Yeah, that's it. So I just really liked it because I had also made dirt pudding while I was reading it. And I was like, oh! That is really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tammy Duvall. How we can like correlate some of our stuff.
0: I do like it.
1: I'm definitely not correlated at all to the Butcher of Elmendorf. You're not?
0: No. No alligators in your your past? No. (laughs) You don't like... um, You're like his age group, though. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. Because I was going to say you don't like to murder 20-year-old women. But you could be a murdered 20-ish-year-old woman.
1: Yeah. I worked at a family restaurant back Mm. home when I was, like, in high school. Mm -hmm. And it kind of had that same. It wasn't a tavern. It was, like, an actual restaurant with a bar in it. But Hmm. it had a lake out back. So it could have, like, totally could have been that situation. The Hmm. owners weren't weird, though. They weren't?
0: They were really nice. Okay. Well,
1: one of them was really nice. The other one was kind of mean.
0: Were they mean? Was it a man or a woman? The woman was mean. Yeah. Did she shoot at she... you and make you do the no, electric slide? No, she didn't slide? make <laughs> me do the
1: electric slide or the jitterbug. Uh, she wasn't, like, mean, mean. She just... You know what? Was stressed.
0: Yes. I was going to say, owning grumpy. a business. Grumpy. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah.
0: Anyway, so she... <sighs> this murder took place in 2007, and she was... Her sentence was given on 2011, so it took a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then her old boyfriend's like, holy shit, that almost happened to that me. That could have been me. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. What a revelation to have. I know. It's
1: such a scary one.
0: I just like that my, when my friend sent it, she was like, I, I like copied and pasted, they were watching a crime show, and Tammy made the comment, that's not how you kill someone and get away with it, and blank and blank both went to the police the next day separately. That's
1: insane.
0: <sighs> like, that's crazy. That's crazy.
1: <gasps> crazy. Um, I like that your friends sent you suggestions. I do too. Uh, if you want to send us suggestions, we have an email address, where you could just, if you're friends with Patra on Facebook, just send them <laughs> there on Facebook. <laughs> just message but me all day. We. If you're not friends with us on Facebook personally, uh, we have an email address. It's offairwithep at gmail.com. Just find us. You can literally find us everywhere at offairwithep.com mm-hmm. on Instagram. Facebook, we don't have a Twitter because I just, I'm bad
0: at Twitter. Yeah,
1: I'm really bad at it,
0: so. i neglect it. Slide into our DMs with some murders, we'd love it.
1: Yeah, and we can do like a special sent-in murder Uh, thing, or like if you know, I don't know, just send us stuff. We'll dedicate that murder just to you. Dedicated to John Doe. Oh, John. John, oh. How
0: many Johns today? You know what?
1: I have a friend named
0: John. My best friend's husband's name is John. Hi, John. Really? Do I know any Johns? Mm, I don't know. I'm sure I know like a dozen. Everybody's named John. Yeah. And his dad's name is John. Uh, I think those are the only Johns that I know. I know a lot of Tammies. Yeah? Yeah.
1: I don't know any Tammies. I used to know a Tammy Couple of Allens. when I was
0: little. Yeah. Tammy Allen. Anyway, that was a lot of nonsense there. (laughs) Golly.
1: Uh, Hopefully you guys had a good Thanksgiving and didn't get poisoned by pudding. Yep. And
0: we'll be back next week. If you want to get poisoned by pudding, swing by the station because there's some on the front counter. And it's been sitting out for like six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.